Hello and welcome to Borough Talks. This is Borough Market season of discussions on food and food culture. I'm Angela Clutton, the host of these talks, which were originally done as online events and have now been turned into this podcast. This one you're about to listen to was recorded in August 2020 with three terrific chefs and restaurateurs who were talking with me about all the issues restaurants have faced leading up to this point in terms of COVID and lockdown and looking ahead too as to what might be next for us all when it comes to dining out. It was a really great session to be part of and I hope very much that you enjoy listening to it. So hello all and huge welcome and um, massive thanks for joining us on this. I think um, it's going to be a really, really interesting discussion just going to do some quick intros but I think as we um get stuck into the discussion it's going to become really um that's going to be the best way for you guys to get across what you, what, what your um, restaurant experiences are so we're going to kick off with Ravinda Bogle who is um uh, Ravinda Bogle sorry an award-winning food writer chef has lovely Jaconi restaurant in Marylebone um and um has also just released um a cookbook um named as per her restaurant Jagoni, which when it arrived i was slightly um breathtaking what a beauty of a book that is so as well as being a chef having Jaconi, being a food writer um and also done quite a bit of telly as well so lovely to have you with us Ravinda. um then we have elizabeth Hay, who um is a master chef alumni um and then michelin star at pigeon and getting my words wrong today this is a great start isn't it? Pigeon even, Michelin star. Um, and then last year made everyone kind of take a little bit of a double take um, and moved away from a conventional restaurant scene um, into taking May May at Borough Market, um, which has really you know, been an astounding hit. And I'm sure we're going to get much more information on how that all has been and is going as we go along. Um, and also about the new supper club that um, Elizabeth is doing as well. Um, and then we have Jack Stein, Chef Director of the Rick Stein Group of Restaurants. Um, I'm going to get it wrong if I say how many you have, Jack, but I'm going to say Cornwall and beyond. Maybe you can say, Jack, how many are there? Uh, yeah, we've got 11, yeah, Cornwall and beyond, yeah. Okay, okay. so also a food writer, um, World on a Plate. We share a publisher, Jack, which is very lovely. Um, and also done a lot of telly, had your own series and things. So we have three really great chefs and restaurateurs, and I think what... I think is so exciting about this conversation is that you are all coming at it from different places. We have, you know, Rick Stein Group, 11 places. We have, you know, the neighbourhood of Michelin Marylebone, neighbourhood restaurant with Jaconi, and then we have all that Elizabeth's doing at Borough Market and really sort of looking a different way at the dining out experience. And so we have a real range of aspects of all this to get into. And our conversation is really going to look at the challenges that the dining out restaurant seen, faced when COVID hit, everything that you've all experienced going through that and then what's happening now and then try to crystal ball it a little bit and look ahead. Um, we're going to talk until about quarter to two, so that's about 45 minutes um, and then we're going to do some questions. So if you have a question, anyone who is watching, listening, do please use Q&A on that and we'll get to them at the end. So what I want to do to start with guys is if you can just give us a quick kind of pricey as to what was happening in your restaurant in your business just before the world imploded in March and then sort of how things changed for you really immediately as as lockdown hit so a quick context for us all about where you were and the immediate impact of everything beyond you obviously closing but a, a slightly wider impact for you all as well Ravinda let's start let's start with you 
Okay, um, so we had just turned about three and a half years old. And as everyone knows, with a small business, you hit three years and you just breathe a huge sigh of relief. And I think we just got to our sweet spot. We were just having such a great time. Um, you know, we'd really kind of um, defined our culture, what we were about, our work culture, um, the kind of food we were cooking, what we were passionate about. Um, we'd really started talking about our values uh, publicly um, and had set up this incredibly exciting series called Civilized Sundays, which was just going from strength to strength. So we had once every six weeks, we invited a guest who we thought was a cultural leader who shared our values of sort of d diversity and pluralism come and speak or read from their book or whatever it was. So we'd had all these exciting people and we were just about to do Salman Rushdie, which was like huge for us. Um, and we kind of create a menu that tells the story of that person's life. Um, and, you know, that event had sold out in minutes. Um, so we were really getting geared up. I was in the You had a really exciting year ahead. You had these series yeah. kind of planned, you had the book coming out. Exactly. We yeah. had in, uh, planned in, in April. So it was all like sort of lined out up and really exciting time of our lives, really. And this thing just came like a bolt out of the blue. <laughs> when, how early on did you get a sense that um, you might have, the, you know, closing was going to come? Well, <laughs> we had a big event um, on the 9th of March, I remember, uh, with a food writer called Charlotte Druckmann, who was la launching her book called Women in Food uh, through At the Table. So they were doing a collaborative event at the restaurant on the 9th of March. And on the Saturday, we got an email from her, Miranda and I, saying, um, I'm not going to get on the flight from New York because this thing is just looking quite ghastly. And at that point, we thought it was, a, you know, a sort of, um, we didn't get how serious it was. You know, not everyone had started to talk about it yeah. seriously yet. And we were like, wow, that's quite drastic, you know, but anyhow, we'll still go ahead. We'll still celebrate her beautiful book and we'll still do the launch. And we had lots of uh, female speakers uh, at the event. So we decided to go ahead anyway. And so there we were on uh, Monday, the 9th of March, 45 women packed into my restaurant, all hugging and kissing each other, um, no social distancing. And then that night, I actually went home feeling very, very sick. And by the next day, I was feverish. And my husband said, well, if it's this thing that everyone's talking about, perhaps you better stay home because you don't want to be spreading it to the team. Yeah. So okay, fine. Stayed in bed. A few hours later, he turns up also with the same symptoms. And by that time, we, we turned the news on. And I think it was literally the next day. So this thing yeah. just came really, really quickly. It's interesting, isn't it? All these dates in March kind of resonate with us all so deeply. Elizabeth, maybe you can just give us your take on, um, well, tell us you know, more about May May a little bit and um, is, you know, how it all was for you kind of building up to and then the impact immediately. I was just trying to wait for the train to finish going. Okay. I should say, okay, so for everyone who's listening, um, lovely Elizabeth is at Borough Market, um, because that's where Mei Mei is. And um, as anyone who knows Borough Market will know, that you know, the trains, which are gorgeously atmospheric, but um, we may be having to schedule Elizabeth's contribution to the conversation. <laughs> I'm just going to dip in and out really quickly yeah. for the conversation. Um, yeah, um, 
May, May, we were having, I think we were just getting into our stride really. We only opened in November last year and um, very eventful going straight into Christmas season. And then in February, we had really great, two really, really great reviews. And so we were really kind of getting a stride and it was a real, we just basically couldn't keep up with the demand, which is what every restaurateur's dream, right? And so when we started seeing the numbers drop drastically, sorry. So it's very funny. It's just me to for train, and now I had a train go past mine as well. And I was thinking, I'm not a bar market. Our trains are synchronised somehow. Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth, will you come back? Oh no, is she coming back? Not <laughs> the train. Okay, this is going to make because fun. Jack, have you got any trains by you? Uh, no, we don't. No, no, no train. Yeah, long way. Okay, let, long let, way let, let's jump to, to you because a very different thing. Elizabeth, will you know, jump back in when you can, Elizabeth? Because. Yeah, main oh, good. Sorry, okay, no, <laughs> no. It's, it's I should have chose somewhere else other than work. <laughs> no, all good. Um, this is the chef restaurant life. All good. Yeah, um, it's the restaurant her life in the in the COVID situation. <laughs> um, so because yeah, no, couldn't be more different in terms of you know the number of just sheer tables and chairs you have to think about. How many, yeah. how many covers are there um, with you, Elizabeth? Um, in total, we had uh, eighteen. Okay uh 18 to 20 based on like this sort of little coffee table area and around the counter um well, you were in mid-flow so you were you were hitting your stride you'd had some great reviews yeah people were fighting for the seats and take we basically had to switch it was mainly a takeaway situation because we were just the food was going up and then i just saw the numbers drastically drop as we saw that more the news i think around the same time that ravinder was mentioning yeah. probably around that early march um, and as well as we feel like the stress and anxiety from the staff, because they're obviously very much reading the news and the media, and um, they just got really stressed about it. And I, I was getting stressed because I was seeing the numbers, and so, and um, just dropped. So, um, yeah, it basically hit us flat on. I think at the start of. 20, I think the 19th of March is when we just basically were like, we can't function anymore. There's no one here. Um, it's too expensive for me to be just constantly prepping and there's wasting food. Yeah. And so we kind of just opted to do like a quick like flash sale, get everything out as cheaply as possible. Whatever we can sell, we gave to the charity for our market, the uh, zero waste guys. And then we um, had to close, just had to yeah. stop function because we couldn't there was no one in the market and obviously we were the main there was a, so much confusion around the guidance of like what a restaurant could be because do i classify as a restaurant do i classify as takeaway do i classify as a you know as a market store so it was like we need to just yes. kind of like put a pin in it until we had some idea of what was going yeah. on yeah okay so, so let's come back um to to your situation because we, as we were just about to say you've got a lot of places to think about yeah so <clears throat> we um we we knew it was going to be bad quite early um dad's brother is a professor at oxford and we were we we've always been because we're so seasonal you know we lose money from november to to basically early april we've always been quite nervous about these sorts of winter anything like we have obviously norovirus in the winter um we've had swine flu when i was staging in uh, in sydney we had that so as a company we've always been had it in the back of our minds mum and dad have always kind of worried about it so when we heard the news out of 
Wuhan, we spoke to John straight away and he said straight away, he said, this is real, this is serious. It's, we're talking late January, we were, we were, and we were quite expecting to be close, to be perfectly honest. Um, we, um, you know, we'd just come out for a great year, but most profitable year ever, we were in the top, fifth, uh, top 100, we were 50th of the top 100 for Sunday Times, places to, best places to work. You know, we had done, um, like Ravinda was saying, that we'd done a lot on our culture, on our hours, and you know, making sure our staff were happy. We'd been really, we'd looked inwards, um, but we saw this coming. We, we were under no illusions. I mean, I had conversations with our chefs, our front of house saying, I firmly believe that that we will be in a lockdown situation, and this was you know weeks before it happened because just purely just the the uh, our uncle said this is not a joke, this is a serious you know he knew he knew you know he knows virologists he knows epidemiologists for at Oxford that were all had had the the virus code shared with them by by the guys in Wuhan the girls in Wuhan so they were like so we were quite. Um, yeah, we saw it coming. We just were in a really difficult position because we had no money. Well, in the wintertime, we have no money. We we're deep into our overdraft. And we were in a situation where we, we told all our staff really early. We let them know that we were, we, what we thought. We said, take advantage of anything, mortgage, holidays, you know, your bank accounts, anything we can do to support you. We told them early. And obviously that le le led to us being in the press quite early because we'd, we put our head above the parapet and said, this is, we're, we're in deep, in deep in the weeds here. And as well, we were, um, again, we, we, we had a really difficult decision to make, which is, you know, do we close early? Um, uh, like Elizabeth did, uh, or do we keep trading until we're told to close? Because every day that we trade means that that's <clears throat> looking at our cash flow modeling. We're talking an extra week that we'll be alive. I mean, bearing in mind when we look, when we sort of early March, we were going bust in April. So it was, um, it was a very unusual situation, but weirdly for us, we were, we, we had our eyes wide open. Mm. And when furlough was announced, that must've been, a saving grace in some ways you know jack having so many people that you were having to think about yeah so our, so we had we have 650 staff and a payroll of 300,000 uh, uh pounds uh a month so you know as you imagine that that your cash flow is just going uh, hemorrhaging um so we uh we definitely yeah the furlough scheme pushed our our cash flow out till sort of midsummer again mm. but still going bust but midsummer um Obviously, it led to the headline the Daily Mail picked up on saying that we're refusing to pay our staff, which never happened. We paid all our staff every hour they worked, and then they were back paid by furlough. It's just that we happened to tell our staff early, and it got out to the press. But you know what? Big companies have to wear that as part of being a big company. You, you know, you're spot, you're in the spotlight. We took some. I, we took some. I took it on the chin, but I also went on the offensive a bit. But again, I just think the box of trolls you release sometimes with articles from some types of media it is quite personal and when people have a go at my dad i'm obviously gonna go back and i realized there's no point arguing on on social media so i gave it up giving <laughs> your social media is probably and sometimes feels like the only healthy the only healthy thing to do um but i'm interested about the reaction from the industry as soon as lockdown really hit because everyone had to close people handled it in very different ways we all know people who decided to open up and was like a little kind of deli store and I think Elizabeth you've done a little bit of that haven't you you've been doing some of the May May products for people to come and buy yeah we switched to uh, as soon as we closed and and I was saying like we had a lot of pressure from outside from the customers to be closing as well um, I was getting a lot of dms from um, people on my instagram saying oh how dare you be open you're risking all your staff's lives and I was getting lots of messages like that so we kind of were like we'll close and then we moved everything onto online 
Um, I already been working on a lot of, like, of our prototypes, the packaging, the products anyway. So it was kind of like phase two of our business. And so we're just rammed into that phase. Um, How quickly were you yeah. able to do that, Lisbeth? Two weeks. Really? Wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I did all the, I've did all the tests. Like I said, it was something that I've already been working on since January. So I kind of had all the, everything ready to go, but I didn't realize what, how hard it would be to get hold of like any deliveries whatsoever though during lockdown just things like packaging getting things delivered took that's what it took I could have got done it straight away but it took, you know had a knock-on effect because everyone was buying everything online every every restaurant in the industry was buying jars and packaging and bags and so it was really hard to get hold of anything yeah. but luckily we had a great support of the deli online um that really 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 helped us with our cash flow but it was just a bit, it was knackering because all my staff on furlough, so it was all entirely just myself and some volunteers that could help me just put it all together and get it all out. And I, I, I really just think it is extraordinary what so many people in the restaurant industry did because it must be just heartbreaking you know, on an emotional level to, to have this hit you. But it feels like you guys didn't really have time to be bothered with that because it's about business and you've got to find other ways to kind of keep things going. You know, Ravinda, you guys pivoted quite quickly as well, didn't you, into yeah. um, what you did? We actually closed before the government mandated it only because both my husband and I were sick. Um, so neither of us were be able to be in the business. And then also, um, you know, one of our senior managers lives with um, his dad who's got type two diabetes. So we were just like, we can't, we just can't, you know, operate like that. He can't be on a tube and everything. So we closed. And I mean, it was a nail in the coffin with Boris kind of saying to um, avoid restaurants, very helpfully telling people to avoid restaurants. Our, like we literally had zero bookings, you know, people would book and not even show up. So it was, it was really, we couldn't hemorrhage that kind of money, you know, preparing lobsters and things. Uh, only to be sort of, you know, eaten by the staff, really. Um, so we closed and then um, the first couple of weeks we were quite sick. Um, so I think we've had it, but I'm not, you know, I haven't got the antibody test, so I don't know for sure. Um, but we then um, heard from a very good friend of mine who is a doctor, who is a senior doctor at King's College Hospital and I just really felt for what they were going through. So I said to Nadim, okay, obviously the team can't come in, but you wash up, I'll cook and we'll start cooking for the hospital. And in the meanwhile, I was sort of, had always had this thought that I wanted to do a takeaway concept, uh, a delivery service, but for vegetarian and vegan food. And I'd been sort of developing that, but never really having the time to put it together. And the weird, horrible silver lining of this situation is we suddenly found ourselves with time, which as you guys will know, you just never have time. You're always onto the next thing. It's like peddling constantly, right? Exactly. And um, so we finally had this time. And so we came up with this comfort and joy, which we felt were two things that everyone needed desperately at that point in time. Um, and I just kind of was like, okay, we've actually now for a change got time to re-engineer th things and how we want things to be. So let's not have any compromises on this. And let's really look at things like 
100% compostable packaging? How can every pound that's spent on this business be regenerative and be something good? So we, and it's really bloody hard. I'm sure you guys have found it to find a packaging that isn't um, got any trace of plastic in it is actually really, even this, the, the packaging that claims to be eco often isn't. It has to go to a special plant to be recycled and it often never makes it there. So we found this incredible company and you literally put the packaging on your compost heap 90 days, it's soil. Um, we really worked on, you know, for, for us as hospitalitarians, our thing is about experience and hospitality and how do we give people that experience. So again, we really looked at our packaging, how can we extend our hospitality into people's homes and uh, we came up with this beautiful packaging. We looked at our uh, suppliers, really shortened our uh, chain of suppliers. So we knew that the people we were working with, our producers were all farming very responsibly, looking after the environment. And then we'd been cooking for this incredible charity called uh, Nishkam Swat, who are just the most genial and inspiring, lovely people you'll ever meet. Um, and they'd been providing food for homeless and vulnerable people, um, well, for a long time, but particularly over COVID, that demand was really, really high. And reading the stories about how, you know, so many people in, in our industry had become homeless really, you know, touched a note, note with us. So we decided that for every box that we sell, we donate a meal to someone vulnerable who needs one through Nishkan Swat. So it's, it's, it's a project I'm really proud of and it's something that feels very regenerative. It's very interesting, Rabinda, that um, you're, you and Liz were both saying that the pivots you went into were things that you sort of already had either in mind or in the pipeline. Um, and so That's it. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, Jack, did, because um, I know you guys are doing um, home, um, you know, home making kits and things now. Um, when did that come in for you guys? What was your, did you do you know, a mid lockdown pivot? So, yeah, again, I, th I think it's exactly right what we've been to say and, and, and Elizabeth is we're a very creative industry and we're suddenly doing nothing. And, and it just gave us, we just suddenly had all this time on our hands. And again, like Elizabeth said, we, everyone was on furlough. We took some volunteers in and we just said, right, we'll just do the right thing here. Well, so we'll, the people who are self-isolating in Padso in our local communities, we'll give them some food once a week. We, with Paul Ainsworth and other chefs, we jumped on that. We fed the NHS as well. Like we went up there on Wednesday in the golf club and gave them some food because we have, you know, we have a 20,000 foot square you know, production kitchen that, you know, we had stock, so we needed to use it up. It was, it was the right thing to do, but also we didn't want to throw food away. So we were kind of managing that. And then as we were doing that, that's when we started to think, what about online? And I think, I think like Elizabeth said, it's, it, we probably never would have got round to doing this online, the, what we call Rick Sign at Home kind of boxes, if it hadn't been for this, because it would have always been on the back burner. We've always got another project that demands attention. So yeah, we did that when we launched that uh, and straight away we were doing like 12, 1300 a week. Um, and it was a huge income stream for us. You know, you're talking about 60,000 pound a week in revenue, which we we're doing. And we just thought it would be lockdown only, but it's managed, I don't know how it's carrying on because people, I guess they, I guess it shows the, the strength of the brand, but it also shows that people, what happened during lockdown is people did really get turned on to food. And I think silver linings are very, very slim at the moment, but I think anyone who's 
been done being able to push their online get onto online get to do things like Ravinda's doing especially working with charities and helping out the community all these things are, are a positive to come out of this situation if we're all still in business in a year's time that's that's you know the the big caveat to it so I think again a horrible situation the suffering my brother obviously was not obviously was in London he had it he was super sick you know we didn't really see a lot of it down here in Cornwall RAC was quite fine but still it was it's a horrible situation to be in um, unprecedented for our industry but actually some of the creativity some of the online stuff that's come out of it might help the recovery potentially I think Jack it's very interesting that you've said a couple of times and it's really great that you are making it clear the precipice that so many of the industry are on in terms of staying in business going out of business because that is the reality of it for so many people and we can all name too many too many friends and peers who you know are struggling or haven't made it this far yeah um, let's turn our attention slightly to that um and jack can you just talk to us about what was going on for you guys as it became apparent about reopening and when you reopened yeah so i mean again we we have a side issue we, we we're battling an insurance claim um which is something that's been in the, so we that was our focus between sort of mid mid lockdown and, and then when we were told we could reopen now being in Cornwall, mainly our restaurants were in Cornwall. Um, the big thing for us was going to be that can people stay out overnight? And that was the once that happened, tourism just happened. And we went from having zero to being full. Like, like as in, I've never ever seen demand like we've got right now in our restaurants. It's. And so, and, interrupt quickly. What does full mean in terms full, of the, 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 the changes you've had to make in terms of social distancing and stuff? So Have you social. Yeah, we've dropped um, we've dropped twenty five percent in covers, but most of our businesses have got quite big floor plans. All the COVID security measures that we've put in are obviously extensive because we've had three months to plan for it. But when I say full, I mean Rick could not get a table in our restaurant tonight, no matter what. And that's because we have no like we used to. You have a bar where you could sit and then you could wait. Now it's like you're booked in and that's it. Like do you know what I mean? So we are and like Cornwall is just i've never seen anything like it and i feel very sorry for london i was up in london last week and central london is just i mean it's i guess it's what paris is like in august everyone's on holiday and i'm hoping in september things will come back but i think most of london's in cornwall at the moment to be perfectly honest so we went from zero and no and nobody had any experience of opening from zero to i uh, like numbers that we've never seen i've never seen we've never seen that turnover like we've we've got at the moment ever even it, before covid it's, it's i can't it's, say this is not sorry I, I did not expect you to be saying no this. no it's but, so it, but it, it's because there's so many people want a holiday yeah, and, yeah, they've, yeah. And, and they've booked to come to cornwall and they are spending because they've got nothing you know yeah. our average spends are like lobster sales are just like it's ridiculous i mean people are just because people are going this could be on my only holiday like we might be back in lockdown in september and yeah. people are just going you know what we don't we don't we don't mind spending that i mean what like top wine top lobster it's just it's intent it's great i mean it might not last so we got yeah. to make hay while the sun shines but it was to open we only opened 11 restaurants because marlborough we're, we're reopened next week but to open 11 restaurants in one day was just that what you did wow yeah and we, we just decided we we like mum and dad said look a lot of our operators our chefs have been with us for over 10 years you know we're, we're 45 year old business we've got people in the business who've been here for 45 years like my auntie the sommelier and she said just go for it you know just open let's just do it and, so, and at the end of the day we could stagger it but let's just see what happens because we didn't know how full we were going to be and we're yeah. very fortunate wow okay so let's turn to our Londoners 
um, and uh, here is a sad smile from Elizabeth there. Um, because obviously it is a bit of a very different experience. I was wandering around here at Bloomsbury Covent Garden the other day, and it, obviously London feels so different from it would. Um, I think all at Borough Market are proud to say that the market as a whole never had to close at any point and carried on very much as a produce market initially for the locals to come and shop and buy and get their fruit and veg and all of that. But in lots of other respects, things are different. Um, so Elizabeth, you're going to be certainly the best person to tell us you know, about that and about your reopening experience. And also, I really want to hear about what you're doing with Bar. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about your, your build-up, <coughs> excuse me, your build-ups reopening and, and all the things around that? Yeah. Um... So, yeah, obviously there was a loads of confusion of like when, whether we could open because there was a lot of things like you could do hot food, you can't do hot food and, you, you know, restaurants can't be open. But like I said, Borough Market never closed. So um, it obviously switched to a produce, which was really, really great for the market. But then we're at part of the market where it's on the other side and it's kind of like, well, if people, if this is areas closed, like everyone else was, it, would, it was really hard to get grasp where other people would come. Anyway, we kind of, I think we saw that the online sales were just starting to drop. I think the novelty of our online sales were just wearing off. It, no matter what products I started throwing into there. And um, we, I think I took the, I just took a bit of a gamble really. And I was like in June, um, once I had a few chats with Barra and say, look, I'd like to reopen. And you know, we were doing cold food. So we did loads of baked goods. Um, so we should start at the May Made Bakery, which is something that one of my colleagues also wanted to work on more. And then we just reopened and we were absolutely heaving. So I think we were the only place that was open in the market that was doing hot food and we couldn't keep up with the demand. I mean, it was just literally four, like, there was only two, two pairs of hands. And um, then we were like, okay, so we could only really function on a, on a limited basis. So it was like, well, we're doing five days a week, we're absolutely knackered maybe we'll start reintroducing more of the stuff coming back. And so I took more and more off furlough and the sales were kind of then dipped as soon as we did that, which was kind of like a bit disheartening. Um, so we kind of hit like this wall. So when Super Saturday hit, when everything reopened, great for everyone, but London was still dead. <laughs> it was so quiet. The footfall was just not the same. It's not, there's no, a lot of my business relies on tourism and the tourists and um, office workers in the area and there just wasn't any of that um, so when everywhere else we open it was great for business to open again but for us it was just like oh I've got everyone off furlough now and I had no sales I think we literally dropped to almost like a couple of hundred on a day and it was like it was like a stab in the heart of almost and so we were just like knuckling, my business partners and I would just knuckled our heads together and we're like what can we do what are people missing and we were like for me personally, I miss going, that experience of being in the restaurant, that hospitality, you know, someone pouring me wine or someone, you know, literally cooking for me for once and not having to do the washing up. Because I think everyone was fed up of washing up after lockdown and having to cook for themselves. So we came up with the concept of bar, which is like our supper club. Um, bar being the figure, um, the Chinese fig figure for eight. Um, which is also a lucky number in our culture and we all needed a little bit of luck right now. So we came up with the idea of doing the Bar Supper Club, which was like an eight piece tasting menu. And we, like I said, we discussed it with Borough and they were giving us the space so we could expand May May. We've got extra tables, put them out. Everything's completely spatially apart, like distanced. Um, we had 
like I say, we had 18 seats around the counter, but once you take, you know, consider the one meter um, distancing, that's now gone to 10. And that's in a very, very small space in the small restaurants that every seat really mattered. So we got these extra tables and chairs and able to do a different kind of service, but you still get the experience of being in a restaurant um, but, and love the alfresco weather uh, outside. And how's that going, Elizabeth? Oh, it's absolutely flying. It's been, it's been really, really great. Um, we only offered it on Friday, Saturday evenings. Um, and because we took a reservation and full payment up front um, to eliminate the no-show issue. That wow. Was really, You're yeah. touching on something which we absolutely want to make sure we come to. Maybe we should quickly do no-shows now, um, given you've mentioned sure. Elizabeth. Um, so so you've, you've, you've gone for it and you take, you take the dosh up front. Yeah, I mean... It's a tasty menu, so you're going to come pay for that anyway. And um, it also gives the restaurant a bit of security, maybe also for the, the, the diners. We've had no issues from the diners because we offer a full refund if you check up to 40 hours, you know, change your mind mm -hmm. or once we confirm with you, um, which I think is fair because I'm having to buy this Nate's tasty menu. I can't prep that in the morning. I have to do the buy ingredients and then prep it all, with, yeah. you know, give the staff all the training and the notes for that weekend and so I think that was fair to ask that for up front Have and you also had any pushback on it Elizabeth? No not at all like I said like all our customers have been really lovely about it some maybe haven't realized they pay for it even though we've clearly labeled that all over the website so we make it very clear with the messaging and the uh, emailing the communication that it's a paid up front and a lot of people have actually really um uh appreciated it because when they get the bill on the evening they're like oh I just had oh it's that cheap and I'm like well, you did pay for this up well it's <laughs> interesting you say that we've just had a message in from somebody who um ate at Stein's in Padstow um and said had a wonderful time they had Jack he'd be relieved um and no you know, obviously not surprised to hear they had a wonderful time um and they were saying they wish you charged um them more ahead of time to create a, a to create more of a disincentive obviously they did show but they were saying they would have supported um, if you'd been asking them to pay more upfront, is the, are those shows a live issue for you across your track? Um, the, the whole industry has it's always been an issue. I think COVID just has made it more of a kind of a, more of a focus because you can't, you know, if somebody doesn't, if somebody's a no show before COVID, you know, they haven't turned up in half an hour, you just relet the table. If they then show up now, there's nowhere for them to go. We clean, sanitize the tables, we let them sit 15 minutes, you know, we're all, everyone's in masks and it's all, you can't just move people around, you can't even move people's tables. So I think that has meant that the value has become much higher. So t first 10 days of opening, we've lost 45,000 pounds worth of business to no shows. And then Paul and Tom came out in the press and mum just said, you know, effort like 50 quid or whatever it is i think the deposit is just you know if you you know it's a it's a um, 40 for 50 quid i think and you just pay that and if you don't show up you keep it but it's just a different landscape and i feel for smaller restaurants we're lucky we're a bigger bigger restaurant we can wear it a bit better but yeah. the the no shows have always been a problem in our industry and i just think that now because covid and the fact that people have got to be so specific and when they can eat that's just made it a lot worse Rebinda, how about you what are you doing at chicane about um, I mean, we've been quite lucky, I think maybe because we're a little bit more neighborhood, we haven't had like a huge percentage of no-shows, but yeah, of course we do get them and it's really bloody annoying when it happens, but now we're, you know, given the times, we're just taking credit card details up front, so 
you know, the messaging is very clear. Again, if people cancel within 24 hours and they're, you know, reasonable about it, um, then then we're, we're, we don't take a, a payment. But otherwise, we take something quite minimal, which is like 20 pounds, which I don't think is a huge amount. Um, but right now, I think uh, it, it's more important than ever that we, we have something to cover our backs, at least. Yeah. I mean, so um, coming to you about um, your reopening, Ravinda, how many covers did you have and how many did you move to when you had to incorporate social distancing factors? It's painful to talk about it. So we had, because we're a small restaurant, we had 48 covers upstairs, seasonal seating outside, and then a table of 10 downstairs, which is like kind of more like an event kitchen table. Um, and now we've cut it down to tw just 28 seats upstairs which, you know, for a small restaurant, I mean, with high rents, it's, you know, yeah. it's painful to think about. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, I do want to say we've had huge local support from our neighbours, like the second we opened the doors, we had, you know, all our regulars coming in, really, really supporting, saying that they were really relieved that we'd stayed, that we were opening again, and, you know, that they'd missed us. So that's been really really wonderful and I think that is the nice thing about being in in a little community like in a neighborhood yeah I think that's really really right um and it's you know that's an interesting aspect about the different the different facets of the business that you guys all work in um let's think about um August where we are just come the end of eat out help out um Rabinda did you did you go for it with eat out help out and if you did did it help out yeah, so it's it's an interesting one, Eat Out, Help Out. So we, we did sign up to it. And, uh, you know, I thought, actually, this is a great idea for people on the basis of people uh, building the confidence of people who might not have come out to restaurants. It's giving them an incentive to come out, to get the economy going again, um, to populate restaurants. Um, but for us, we've seen a topsy-turvy kind of effect. So we, we're really, really full on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I mean, tonight is crazy. I'm going to go in after this and it's nuts. We're fully, fully, fully booked. Um, but it then drops off. So our normal Friday and Saturday are a little quieter. The first week, we didn't see it so much. We definitely saw it last week. This week isn't looking as bad as, as last week, but... Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure it's helping out as much as it it, it could because it's just sending people to the beginning of the week right. who might otherwise come on a Thursday, Friday, or a Saturday. That's interesting. The Treasury were very excited to I think it was yesterday. They said that 64 million meals had been claimed as part of Eat Out, Help Out, which sounds really very exciting. But yeah, I think you make an interesting point. You know, we we close on a Monday anyway, and we we thought about opening on a Monday but you know again we're such a small team it just involves people doing extra shifts which I just don't think for balance and for what everyone's going through is the right thing to do so we decided to keep closed on on Mondays so, but we take full advantage of it on Tuesday and Wednesday and those days have been really super busy yeah um Elizabeth I know it hasn't really applied to you has it these out help out um but Jack, what about what about across yours? Have you have you seen what Ravinda's been saying that people are kind of been pushing into the early part of the week? Uh, it's just not. I mean, not really. No. I mean, we again because Cornwall is just full. 
I mean, the only thing people, because all people are coming to Cornwall to do, it seems to be, is eating out. So it's it's a bit of an issue, I think, especially for some of the pubs in Padstow. They're just reporting just, it's a nightmare for them because, the, you know, people are coming in, they're having one course, like a steak and a glass of Coke, and they're sitting at a table and there's people who would, they could sell that table 20 times over to people who want lobster and crab. And it, it, it's, it's a difficult one because August is just not the right time for Cornwall to be doing it. I can understand in London, it makes total sense because it's a quiet period a lot of people on holiday and and a lot of people should need to be coaxed out but i think for us we would have much preferred that in like january when historically nobody eats out because it's after christmas but i understand why richard look let's be honest i mean the government's handling of the issue is is at times laughable but i think by and large the chancellor's done quite a good job and i think for the first time even during Brexit, for the first time, the hospitality industry has been singled out and looked after, which is quite unusual. Normally, we feel that us and the sort of social care sector are the kind of last people in the line of, you know, calling us in unskilled and nonsense like that, which really I pissed my mum off for one thing, because she's been working in this industry for nearly 50 years and she came down with no, come to Cornwall with no qualifications at all and now runs a £30 million business. So the whole thing has been a bit of a disaster in Cornwall. But at the end of the day, you, it's so hard. You draw a line in anything. You make a, you draw a line and somebody will fall one side and somebody will fall the other side. I think Richie Sunak, by and large, I, I, I applaud him for what he's tried to do for our industry. Very good. Um... So thinking about uh, it just coming back to come to an end, how do you feel about the next couple of months? You know, obviously, we don't know the winter, there's you know, obviously nervousness around what might happen about um, the, the rising cases in the winter. So but looking in the most you know, immediate term about what, what's next, Elizabeth maybe will come to you for this. How are you feeling about as we inch into September? What are you going to be doing and how are you, how, how are you feeling and, and what's your sense about how things are within the sector? Um, to be honest, I'm really quite nervous about it. Um, I mean, a lot of the restaurants around here, especially in London, we've all gone to the alfresco style of dining. That's where the supper clubs sort of like came from. And I'm worried, like, we put a, the end of it is October because I built this place in November and I remember how cold and how horrible it was outside. And being an outdoor restaurant, which is, I'm not no idea how it's uh we're going to actually operate like that so we're gonna have to almost like switch immediately back online again do takeaway do delivery do whatever we can like at the moment just as a restaurant so it feels like we're just throwing all the darts at the board and seeing which sticks um it's quite frustrating because they each every time we try something new or try and pivot the business it costs us so much money time and effort um especially when we're op operating at the moment um and as well as it's frustrating for the team so we are just going to um, try and keep level-headed, save as much money as we can, and keep positive as well. We're going to, you know, we'll take the team out for a little, like, you know, reward for all the hard work they've done for the past, like, few months. It's been horrible. Even though they're on furlough, like, their nerves, I'm sure, are all to bits. Um, and I think we're just going to have to keep our heads straight and, and focused for the next I mean, it's not going to finish over winter. It's going to, this is going to go straight into March, April again. It's it's definitely going to be a year long, if anything, based on um, what we we known from SARS from um, a few years back. It's like this is going to go on for at least a year. It personally, it's like, affect the business for at least another year. So we've got to be prepared for that. Yeah. Um, just to quickly say to anyone who, or anyone, everyone who is watching um, and listening, if you have any questions for the guys, now it's time to 
start to um, write those in questions quite soon. But I'm very interested um, in a point that Jack made about perceptions of the industry and about staffing and pricing and those things. And um, Rabinda, maybe come to you first for this. Are you, do you think there is a longer term impact in terms of uh, public and maybe governmental perception of what the hospitality industry, how it works and what it has to offer? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that actually people look at restaurants as sort of businesses and particularly with you, Jack, when you've got 11 restaurants, it's suddenly people have this like perception of a very corporate business and actually it's not. There's a, such great humanity behind restaurants and that's what gets forgot, forgotten, you know, from your chefs to your um, waiters, managers, to the your your community you know the people who um plant your your produce to the people who pick it to the people who the cargo who brings it over to you it's it's a chain of humanity you know and i think people have to be realistic and realize that every time we sit down to eat a meal there is this invisible chain of humanity around us and that's what you're paying for so i think people have to understand and be realistic about prices rising prices uh, prices are going to rise um you know for for everything for for brexit god knows how that's going to affect our businesses uh going going forward as well um but uh, i just hope that uh the government and landlords continue to nurture businesses like ours because restaurants are more than just places to eat they are part of our culture i think you phrase that beautifully um we have some questions coming in so i think we'll maybe go to a couple of those and someone's quite rightly saying um that covid is you know at the moment overshadowing the great brexit question mm -hmm. um so i mean you know we, we are uh, phrasing discussion in, in, in the immediate that's what it's heading it sounds i think <laughs> i'm not sure what that indicates i think i know what that indicates uh go on jack given you, given you have literally put your head in your hands well um, i mean i mean we, we're in a situation where we you know, the greatest act of self-harm to our country that you can imagine um, is happening in January and it's not the worst thing that's happening and that's if you could have given if you could have told me that this time last year I think I'd have just gone I'm just I don't know my partner's from Australia let's emigrate let's get out of here um, I mean it's it, you know I think this is going to get a lot worse after after the after the uh, furlough scheme ends there's a lot of restaurants that I think the, for us we're thinking February March time is going to be a real real bad time february will be the first month with a some sort of brexit which we don't know about yet and i just think the two things hitting together not to mention the winter pressures on the nhs it's just you have to be upbeat for your staff like elizabeth said you have to you have to be positive and, and we have to look at like the, the the things that we can do but it's just another kick in the teeth and it? it's just like we don't i mean we just don't need it i mean staffing is hard enough as it is brexit's gonna make that more difficult Covid's going to be around, like Elizabeth said, I think at least until Easter time. I can't see anything much before. I think probably a year, the year and anniversary of lockdown will still be suffering the effects. And the longer term impact on supply chain, and like Ravinda said, all our suppliers, are they going to still be here? You know, can we still call on the same fishermen, the same farmer, the same dairy, the same veg people? You know, are we all going to be just homogenized? I don't know. It's, it's bleak. But what I will say is that the, the by and large, you know, the, the people have shown us they're keen to eat out again. They're keen to go back to normal. It's just whether or not we can survive it is the main thing. So I'm not I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. It's just it, you know, it's just 
going to be a tough, tough while. And Brexit can just do one as far as I'm concerned, but we've got to deal with it. So we are where we are. I mean, there's no point, there's no point going breaking up old graves. We've made a decision. The government have got to see it through. I think Richie Sunak's done all right for this. So maybe give it to him to deal with. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know, um, so, sorry, Rinta, you go. I just was going to say also, you know, no more Boris blunders. He has a way of phrasing things that, I mean, I, I agree very much with, uh, with Jack. I think Rishi, the prime minister, actually, uh, he's just got, it seems to have a more pragmatic way of dealing with things, a yeah. practical. But, um, okay, so let's just grab that for a second. If you, you know, if you had Prime Minister, whether it's Johnson or you know, CNAC or whomever, currently Johnson, obviously, um, in the room, and they said to you, what can we, what, go on, what can we do to help the hospitality industry survive this? Ravinda, we're going to stick with you for a second. What would you say to him as being things that you would, you know, key points that could be done to try and help you guys survive? I mean, I just think the whole Brexit thing has been so demeaning to so many people who have worked in this country for such a long time. And when you, you use words like unskilled, skills are so relative. Hospitality is full of the most skilled people I know. The, the, the skill it takes to win someone over at a table, to, to give something of yourself to that person, because that's actually the old-fashioned, um, you know, hospitality. That's what it's about. It's not about your being paid to, to do your job. That's service. Hospitality is an immeasurable thing. And I think I see that in our industry, you know, over and over again, displayed so beautifully. Look at how our industry has come together um, at this really dark time when they've been suffering the most themselves to cook for hospitals, to cook for the homeless. I'm so proud of my colleagues in this industry and what they've done and what they've shown. So words like unskilled do not belong, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think they need to look at things like uh, taxation, so VAT, you know, more VAT breaks. I think uh, there needs to be conversations being had with landlords, um, support given to landlords so that they can continue to support uh, businesses. Um, and, and, you know, then just, just more investment in this sector, you know, it starts with education. You know, right now we're seeing a lot of chefs who just sort of young chefs, especially who move from one thing to the other. And I just think that comes down to grassroots education and, and there's a system there that's slightly broken and that needs a little bit of work and investment from the government. Well said. Um, Elizabeth, just going to come to you for another one of the questions, which is about um, asking how has your relationship changed with suppliers and producers over, over this time and, and looking ahead maybe as well? Um, I'd say like, our, our relationship with our suppliers has been as strong as we as could be. We've, you know, we, we made the uh, online switchover so we were able to pay all our suppliers, not a single person was you know, left out of pocket. And so I think that's really like strengthened our relationship with them. Obviously, there's been a lot of like stress on our suppliers. And there was, you know, there was a gap between the supply chain where we couldn't get hold of anything. As well, being a, um, an Asian restaurant, we couldn't get anything from Thailand. So I was almost like rationing my pandan leaves as much as I could until I could get the next import from Thailand. Um, so there has been a lot of like strains. I and mean, it's like both of us are feeling like there's a supplier as the consumer. We were like, 
feeling a bit stressed but you know if anything we're always there we're always going to be we're trying to make sure that no one's out of hand pockets and um i think going forward we're actually speaking to them more and more about what we really exactly want as well i think well we've had a bit more fun now with far doing the second part is that we've really like curated like we've got dishes around these produce because it's so great we want to champion what we're getting from here as well as abroad but mainly the stuff that we're getting hold from here actually mostly from cornwall <laughs> Um, just coming to you quickly on that, Jack, you did touch on it in your previous answer about Brexit, um, but obviously you're dealing on a larger scale with, with, with suppliers and producers and farmers and fishermen. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how that relationship has changed and, is, and how it, you know, the, the positives or otherwise moving forward? Yeah, so during lockdown, we actually did a virtual food festival, which uh, was we got a load of chef friends of ours and suppliers together to try and basically showcase the suppliers that we weren't using because our per purchase ledger, you know, how much money we owe our suppliers at lockdown was huge. And we, we, you know, we've now paid a lot of that down because we've got money coming in. But so we, we, we want to showcase the suppliers that we had. And we were finding a lot of really interesting things happening around the country, but especially for us here in Padstow, this kind of like buying stuff straight off the boats, you know, like lobsters and crabs. Obviously, it's like everyone's going to hate me because I'm saying our business is full and we ate nothing but lobsters and crabs. But I've never seen anything like it because the, the international market that weirdly, there's a huge market for shellfish from China that comes out of Cornwall that gets shipped from Heathrow that obviously went then the European markets mainly Spanish and French market went so suddenly a lot of the the shellfish and, and lobster fishermen had all this and they were selling them for like 10 quid a go cash you know and it was and Mitch Tonkson and I had a discussion with Johnny Mert one of the fishermen he was out at sea we was all on on zoom he was at sea we had um mitch tonks and me and with and ross geach Padstow kitchen garden talking about is this the future for buying fish after brexit you know can we see this kind of idea of everyone buying from the boats direct and because the eu the eu does have a lot of bureaucracy around fish quotas and that's because if they didn't there'd be no fish left and let's be honest about it it's a good thing that we have quotas but we found this happening and we are looking we are seeing more direct connections with our restaurants and our suppliers than we have before and that's mainly because we've just said look we don't mind we'll pay cash we don't mind like we'll we'll invoice you we'll, but we'll give you cash because we stopped using cash a while ago and a lot of a lot of suppliers just stopped they felt we were being too corporate so we've taken a step backwards just you know what we'll pay cash it's a friday afternoon you're a fisherman you go into the pub to get pissed we all know what you're doing just make sure we get an invoice so you will be fine so i think there are again silver linings to come out of it i think i think the british have realized how great our produce is they've seen during lockdown that they can cook We've seen our wonderful suppliers go online. You know, some of the little suppliers like Snare Dog Asparagus, we did a special with them and they, they sold out their entire season. And they were like, they sent us a letter saying you saved our season just because we just highlighted them. We've lit, lit them up. So again, small silver lining that hopefully we'll buy more British products and we'll use more of our great um, stuff that we have here and not necessarily have to ship it to the EU. But that's no way uh, in any way me um condoning brexit that's just me going come on let's keep it like for me like we send stuff cornwall send stuff to the restaurants in london like like may may and elizabeth they're saying which is fantastic you know and that's great you know but by the same token i don't mind sending it the odd bit to, to france because i love the french <laughs> um, i love everyone i love everyone by the way not just the french <laughs> i think basically i love everybody jack um yeah just yeah <laughs> um Another question, we're getting towards the end now, so if anyone has a burning question they haven't um, 
managed to cover yet with our guides and please do write it in. Um, but we have someone who's raised something which is interesting, I think, um, that about the profile of restaurants and chefs, which you guys all have in different, in, in, you know, in, in quite different, but in, in some ways similar ways. Um, and I am, um, this person's really asking about how important for, for a restaurant survival is it for the restaurant to have a profile, or the chef to have a profile. Um, where should we go? Elizabeth, let's go for, let's go for you. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's important for a restaurant to have a profile full stop anyway, before COVID and actually probably especially now because everyone's having to switch online. So you need to have that online presence and you've got to have that, that voice. Um, and I think it, uh, it's almost a cherry on top of the chef's got a profile. Um, but it's just, it, you definitely need to have that sort of online presence to stand out right now because it's, there was real buzz you know, about you when you announced yeah. what you can do with bar and you got a lot of traction online social media and you know, people in the industry you're know, writing about it and presumably that was a real help towards it, it being a hit when when you launched it and Ravinda you know I guess for you, you it's, a, it's maybe a double-edged thing that bring bring out your beautiful book I suppose in some ways gave Jacobi more publicity because you had other avenues to talk about the restaurant a lot of people were releasing books this summer. It was a nightmare, but maybe not so much for you. You have that extra profile is what I'm asking. Um, yeah, so the book was actually supposed to come out in May and I asked my publishers to delay it um, just because I felt weird for a book called Jaconi launching when my beautiful Jaconi was closed. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely. I think it's important more even than profile just to stay relevant. To, to think ahead, to think, well, how can we feed into this conversation? And I think, you know, we had a lot of support, a lot of press support with comfort and joy. Um, it felt very regenerative. It felt, felt like a very positive business. I think it's something people wanted to write about. But yeah, definitely the book, of course, it bears the name Jaconi as well. So it really reflects back positively to the restaurant as well. And we've, we've seen lots of people coming in for signed books and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's been, it's been really great. Excellent. Um, and I, I feel like I'm your PR today for the book, but I do think it is an extraordinarily beautiful thank book. Thank you. It certainly, certainly cheered me up when, when it arrived, I have to say. Um, guys, thank you so much for that. Um, I should say to you, is there anything that you three haven't had the chance to you know, mention or talk about on this just before, we, just before we dive off? And I think it's been a really broad, interesting conversation, but speak, speak now for something you want to get off, <laughs> get off your chest. No, not for me, thanks. All good. Um, no, I mean, really, I think it has been such an interesting conversation. There are certainly things, you know, and I you know, work in the industry, there are certainly things that you've said from the restaurant chef perspective, which were, have been a real surprise for me. And I, so I really hope our audience have found it interesting as well. Um, so huge thanks to um, Ravinda and Elizabeth and Jack. And I look forward to um, seeing you at your various places you know, really soon, I hope. Um, I hope that all of you who are watching have enjoyed it too. Next week, um, Borough Talks, is back again Wednesday lunchtime one o'clock where we have Sabrina Gaya and John Waite who are talking about comfort food. A lot of us have been reaching for comfort food over lockdown and kind of come to terms with things since. So we'll be talking to Sabrina and John about um, our relationship with food and why we all love comfort food and what comfort food means to each of us. But until then, thank you ever so much. And Ravinda, Elizabeth, Jack, thank you so much for taking part. Cheers. Bye. Bye, Ravinda. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Bye.